This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. One-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! And everything from the state of hockey. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. to episode number 65 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host, as always, in Nick Maxson. Nick, you got the gray outfit going on today. I like it. It looks good. Uh, it matches the gray walls behind you. You kind of look like you're in a prison cell. Do you feel like you're in a prison cell today? How's that going? No? You're feeling good? feel all right. I mean, it's just the gray version of the Canadian tuxedo. Just no denim and no blue. It's just gray. That's all it is. I like it. Uh, we're going to touch on what you've been up to in the past week as well as myself. But before we get to that, of course, the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup will touch on uh, some news uh, pretty much all around the hockey world. Uh, nice and sweet here. Uh, of course, we're going to touch on the Omaha Mavericks this week. Uh, a lot of uh, pretty interesting information. You're not going to want to miss this one. And then don't forget to check out our extra ice session. We're going to talk about hockey development as a young kid versus as an adult and kind of the ins and outs of uh, why it's important to start early if you can. Uh, but if you start late, why it's kind of interesting too as well. But let's get started here. Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Huskies Illustrated Weekly Round of Noah, and then there were four. NHL playoffs are now in its semifinal stage, and holy cow, what a playoffs it's been. The Montreal Canadiens, the Cinderella story, Noah, on a 4 nothing sweep of the Winnipeg Jets now find themselves in a matchup against the Vegas Golden Knights, who took out Colorado in six games after dropping the first two and then winning the next four to reach the NHL semifinals. And then the Tampa Bay Lightning, who ousted the Carolina Hurricanes in five, although matchup against the New York Islanders, who took out Boston in six. Uh, though both those rounds get started here soon. In fact, the uh, the semifinal will start tonight, actually, uh, between the Islanders and the Lightning and Montreal and Vegas kicks off their series uh, tomorrow night as well. So a lot of good playoff action here around the NHL. Yeah, super interesting to see the newest franchise taking on one of the oldest and cup-wise most storied franchises in NHL history. Should be interesting. Speaking of uh, NHL news in our local state here, Nick, the Minnesota Wild did add a longtime NHL fixture to their front office this past week. 
Former New Jersey Devils and Pittsburgh Penguins general manager Ray Sherrill will serve as senior advisor to Wild general manager Bill Guerin. Uh, he won a cup with Pittsburgh in 2009, Sherrill did, and was also in office for two seasons while Guerin was still playing in Pittsburgh. Um, of course, Guerin transitioned to coaching in 2011, and Sherrill oversaw that as well. And then he was the 2013 NHL general manager of the year and spent five seasons with the Devils after departing Pittsburgh in two, until 2020. Ray Shirto, the White Bear Lake, Minnesota native, Mr. Noah. So, uh, but some other rumblings around some front offices in the NHL, Calgary Flames. So they added Kirk Muller as an associate head coach in the black, uh, the, excuse me, not the black jackets, the blue jackets. It's definitely Sunday morning today. Uh, have actually picked the new head coach. Uh, first, we'll start with Kirk Muller. They're up in Calgary. Spent the past five years as an assistant in Montreal uh, before being let go along with Claude Julian uh, back in February of this last year. He will now join head coach Daryl Sutter as the Flames look to create uh, you know, a new coaching staff and look to get back into the playoffs uh, back with that franchise. Uh, also promoting American Hockey League head coach Kale McLean from Stockton up to the big club as well, becoming an assistant coach with the Flames. And then back to Columbus and Brad Larson was named the eighth head coach in franchise history. He served an assistant with the Black uh, Blackjacks, uh, the Blue Jackets, Nick. Get real. You can tell what I have in a coffee. He's been with them for the last seven years. He spent the last decade with the organization, coaching four years in the American Hockey League before getting up uh, to the big club, as you mentioned, seven years ago. Uh, former Panthers and Golden Knights head coach, Gerard Gerlant, former Penguins assistant and Arizona head coach, Rick Tockett, and all, and as again, Brad Larson, all interviewed for the job at least twice before Larson was named head coach. Uh, Larson and his playing career uh, had 294 NHL games to his credit among eight seasons, and he did win a Stanley Cup in two 2001 with the Colorado Avalanche. Moving up into Canada and the international world, Nick, uh, Canada did beat Finland in overtime to win the men's world championships this year, but Nick Paul's game winner, uh, it's not the most exciting thing, I believe, uh, going on in God's country right now. The Ontario Hockey League made history as Taya Curry became the first female ever drafted to the league in the priority selection draft, going 267th overall to the Sarnia Sting. Standing at five foot seven, one forty, the Ontario native makes up for her size with stellar anticipation and athleticism, often forcing shooters to aim for the top of the net due to her ability to cover the lower half, according to an OHL scout. She has been playing boys AAA since her early years in the sport. Shannon Zabados, Mayon Rayum, and Charlene Labonte are three women to have previously played in the Canadian Hockey League, with Zabados being the most recent to do so in 2003. All three previous, of course, were goaltenders, where Rayum even had a stint in an exhibition game with Tampa Bay and the NHL, I believe, in 1992. You would have been alive, potentially, to see that. I definitely wasn't, so... I'll have to check the stone tablets for record. Uh, but to round out uh, this week's uh, Center Ice View News and Notes, a couple of tidbits here. Boston netminder Tuka Rask uh, will need surgery on a torn labrum in his hip that he played through pretty much all season is what we're hearing from the reports out of Boston and uh, which also probably likely hurt his 2020 playoffs as well against the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, wear and tear more than anything on that type of injury. Uh, but kind of interesting, Noah, on this one, I think there's some question marks here as well. 
uh, and why maybe Bruce Cassidy would play Tuka Rask with knowing that this is a pretty uh, big injury. Uh, it's supposed to be a six to eight month recovery for this surgery. So that would mean if he were to return to Boston, it would be no earlier than December or January. Um, he is a pending uh, unrestricted free agent as well. And also reiterated that he would only sign in Boston if he does not have any interest in signing with any other NHL squad. Um, and if he did not sign in the league, he would likely then return to Finland to play in his hometown. Let's go over back to Pittsburgh as they always make news, especially in the offseason. 34-year-old Evgeny Malkin uh, will be without, uh, will be, I should say, out until training camp after successful right knee surgery with a sprained MCL. Uh, he was limited to 33 games this year, also dealing with other injuries, but he's still tallied 28 points this season in those 33 games. Lastly, the Edmonton Oilers re-signed uh, Devin Shore to a two-year extension. After a nine-point, 38-game season in Alberta, uh, the New Jersey Devils also uh, defenseman P.K. Subban will join ESPN as an analyst for the rest of this season's Stanley Cup playoffs. The 32-year-old has tallied 19 points this year and has one season left on his current contract. Um, also in media news, um, NHL is bringing over former goaltender and current NHL network analyst Kevin Weeks as a studio game analyst, as well as former Tampa Bay Lightning and New York Ranger forward Ryan Callahan, who spent time with NBA. CSN also during the playoffs as well as the regular season this past year. And over at TNT and Turner Sports, the second broadcast partner that will enter into the fold starting this year, uh, former NHL winger Anson Carter will move um, over to them after uh, he will finish up his contract with NBC. He will be joining Wayne Gretzky, the great one, Eddie Olchuk, as well as Kenny Albert as media folks who have signed on to Turner Sports. And once again, welcome into episode number 65. Uh, Nick, welcome in once again on this Sunday. Uh, how are you doing? I don't know why I'm speaking like a robot, but uh, I don't know. I feel a little bit robotic. It's just one of those days where I, I slept for nine hours last night and feel like I've slept about three. You know what I mean? Um, do you ever get to sleep nine hours? Is that even possible for you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not very often, no. Um, it, it's 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 been a very, very busy weekend. It's been a busy week and a half. Um so sleep has been not uh, in abundance. We'll put it that way. Um, but you know, it, it, you know, if you would ask me, especially at this point uh, here, 2021, if I'd rather have it this way, especially with some of the things that are happening behind the scenes, um, I, I would certainly not turn everything down. So it, yeah, it's tiring, but it, it's a good tire. Um, you know, things are, are coming together here. Um, you know, on the back end of some things, and it's been it's been good. But you know, it, it's almost like you need a. a almost a couple of days. No, I think when you're in this kind of tired rut, you know, you just kind of feel like, you know, you just need a couple of days to, to really just kind of catch your breath and to really just rest your body and your mind to, to kind of re, you know, re recenter yourself and just haven't really been able to do so. But uh, I'll say one thing, it's been hot uh, in Minnesota for those weather geeks out there. I'm one of them. Um, Minnesota usually only gets about 13 days of above 90 degrees. We're basically already there and we're only 13 days into June. So for the lack of spring, uh, Mother Nature is trolling us by just cranking up the thermostat with a flip of a switch. Uh, although it's, you know, it, it, being it's June, I'd, I'd rather have the heat. I'd rather complain about it than be like, hey, it's only like 65 or 70 degrees. Where the hell is summer at? So, um, you know, that's good. And then for, uh, for folks around the great state of Minnesota, before I kick it back to you, Noah, uh, some really good news coming out of uh, you know, Falcon Heights, per se, is at the Minnesota State Fair. 
Um, it sounds like they're going full steam ahead. Uh, the great Minnesota get together. It's a family tradition of mine. Uh, we'll be back, I think, August 26th through Labor Day. It's about a, it's a 10 day fair. It is uh, every single year. Uh, was canceled last year due to the pandemic. Uh, they did a couple of weekend like drive through things to try to get some of the food favorites, but missing quite a bit of them. Uh, so I'm excited to get back to the Minnesota State Fair. It's a good kind of cap on the summer before you get into the fall and the big summer schedule and school. I should say school schedule, not summer schedule. But uh, yeah, things, things have been good. Uh, how things up there in uh, the flat plains of North Dakota? Nice and cool. I'll tell you that much. Uh, speaking of weather, we got a lot of rain the past couple of days, uh, and I don't think it's uh, peaked above 75 or 80 this past week. Um, it's been nice and cool. Um, here. It's been an interesting week. I'll say that much. Speaking of the fair, of course, I work for the Minot Convention and Visitors Bureau. So I uh, kind of promoting tourism there. Um, yes, you can come to North Dakota. You can be a tourist as possible. We do have some cool things here. I'll, I'll be honest and things that even, you know, when I was living here, you know, for the majority of my life, things that I didn't even know about. And of course, new restaurants and stuff. So I mean, it's exciting. Um, speaking of fairs, the North Dakota State Fair, July 23rd to the 31st, that's getting ready to ramp up. That's kind of our big ticket event as well. Um, gets kind of nuts, of course, how the state fairgrounds here in Minot, North Dakota. Um, yeah, it, the weirdest thing I had happened, the police showed up yesterday while I was working. Uh, apparently there was a guy who was schizophrenic uh, and kind of dangerous. I guess he was running around the park and they thought he came in the building, but they found him hiding in the bushes and stuff. Uh, so the police had to come in and kind of kind of check out what was up and stuff. So it was it was an interesting week. I mean, it made my Saturday a little bit more uh, intriguing. Uh, the other thing that I thought was kind of crazy. I don't know if you got a chance. I'm not a big soccer guy. Like, I mean, I don't mind soccer, um, but I don't I don't sit down and watch it. I don't really have like, you know, a team or that sort of thing that I follow. And if I did, probably Tottenham, uh, if anybody. But uh, actually, Denmark was playing Finland yesterday. I don't know if you got a chance to see this uh, uh, Danish star forward Christian Eriksen collapsing on the field. Um, it was kind of uh, an odd situation. I got a chance um, because I have the ESPN package to go back and um, kind of watch what had happened. Um, Cause there are some times where you can kind of see, you know, things leading up to it, but it almost, it was almost akin to uh, that, like the rich Peverly situation, right? I mean, he, he turned, he was coming up the field and then he just dropped and essentially collapsed on the field and, if you go back, you know, check out, uh, you know, on Twitter was a really actually really great source of information later on about some of the interesting stories there. But, you know, a lot of people went into helping Christian get off the field safely, you know, when they were doing CPR on him on the field. And of course, he is stable right now in the hospital. He's alert and conscious. Um, they did resume the game and finish it. But um, it's definitely a story, uh, Christian Erickson, worth checking out uh, if you haven't seen it again. Nick, did you have a chance to, to take a look at that? I did. And, you know, speaking of social media, uh, you know, there's a lot of backlash also coming. Uh, at first, it was directed towards ESPN. Uh, but mind you, ESPN is more just, you know, taking the feed from uh, UEFA. Uh, and, and there was some controversy as to some of those, uh, the, the camera work, you could say, after he collapsed, there was some you could saw some, some maybe close-ups that maybe were probably not the best time to do that. Um, I understand that, you know, when maybe the camera, the director, the producer isn't maybe necessarily aware of what's happening. Um, but, you know, it was very clear, I think, with maybe five seconds in after, like you mentioned, it was it was it was a ball that was, you know, on the sidelines and it was going to be basically put back into play. He was basically trying to put a little bit of pressure on the, uh, the, the person putting the ball back in. 
and it looks like he was stepping and then like I said, he just went down. Um, and immediately you could see the players, the referee within a few seconds calling for medical assistance and still, uh, you know, trying to figure out what's going on, you know, those tight shots. And, you know, this is a part of TV that, you know, a lot of folks don't really understand is, you know, you, you don't want to assume anything. Um, and, and I, I think you, the, whoever was producing that game or directing that game, I think mm-hmm. once the tight shot came in, I think they realized right away that uh, that probably wasn't. So they tried to back out, you know, pretty soon. But, uh, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to the to the players, the referees, and then the medical staff for, for uh, doing CPR. I, I believe I also read a report that says that there was an AED that was used uh, to possibly correct an arrhythmia. Again, you know, we, we don't know exactly what happened, yeah. but what we do know and what I think that the best uh, you can call the footage of the day was when he was being uh, taken off the field as it looks like he was awake and conscious and he looks mm-hmm. like he did give a thumbs up to the crowd. And um, as you mentioned, he is back stable. So uh, uh, pretty, pretty scary moments there. Um, then again, over in Europe, uh, but uh, you know, hopefully everything is checks out. Okay. For, for Erickson, we hope he's all right and makes a full recovery. And, and I'm sure that was, you know, you know, for him, you know, I can't imagine how scary that moment would have been because, you know, for yeah. once one second you're playing soccer, the other second you're, you probably have no idea what just happened. You're probably waking up and asking yourself, why is 20 people surrounding me? So that's got to be a crazy moment. And uh, yeah, hope, hope all the best for Erickson. Yeah, it, it's crazy. I know there was another piece to um, a confirmed report that uh, one of the players essentially uh, kept him from choking on his own tongue, you know, when he passed out. Uh, and then, of course, you had all the Danish players that were surrounding him from those media cameras using the Finnish flag. So you, you talk about moments that are bigger than sports. I will say I'm actually slightly intrigued that you brought up the camera work because um, I've worked a couple of games where there have been injuries like that serious enough to where you've had people come off. Um, it, it is a fine balance though. I think you mentioned, you know, the, the producer likely recognized what was going on. I do know, I mean, I know Erickson's family was in attendance at the game. Um, but I do know for certain events like that, uh, you know, if you have teams that are traveling long distance, if their you know, son or daughter is on, on the ice or whatever it is, there are some families that would like you to still stay on the air. So they know exactly, you know, kind of what is happening, uh, as it unfolds. So it is a delicate balance. Um, and I think that that is a piece of TV that, again, you talked about not many people understand. And it's, you know, it's a hard line to to, to just say, oh, we're going to end the broadcast or we're going to, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that decision. So there's also some legality stuff there mm-hmm. too. Um, you know, and for folks, you know, who maybe this is the other part that they don't understand. So for example, um, if I'm a television reporter, or I should say maybe a photog, right? I'm trying to cover an auto accident. If it's just minor injuries and people are up, you know, they're free to film that. However, in California, you know, if, you know, if someone had deceased at this accident and you try to get footage of that, and that's there, that could be um, a violation uh, of some, of some first amendment rights. Um, and California has, has actually been pretty strict on the, the filming of those who have been deceased, but um, you know, that's more the legality aspect of it. But I think where it wasn't that they were on the air. No, it was that, you know, when the tight shot came into Erickson, um, there were some pretty disturbing imagery. Uh, you can certainly tell he was in distress. And I think that was where the backlash came from is, you know, again, you know, when you see somebody collapse, you know, generally the rule of thumb is, you know, you, you stay wide, the, the general rumors, you, you know, until you can get, um, you know, other cameras, because again, every camera in the building as a director, you have every screen that shows you, you know, every camera. Um, and it's up to the director to say, hey, can you 
put a, you know, put this in a type, let me see it first before we put it on there. Uh, instead, they decided to do a quick transition to a tight shot. And it was probably a, a little bit too quick of a decision there. Um, I think, you know, if, if I'm the director in that situation, you, you want to get a tight shot on a preview first, meaning you can see it with the camera scene, but don't put it on there uh, and then make that decision then. And I think that if that director would probably would have want to do that over again, um, just because, yeah, like I mentioned, the the imagery uh, of his reaction, I should say body's reaction, probably more appropriately does, to what does, was happening. Doesn't it almost remind you a little bit? I think a great example of this where producers, you know, whoever's, and this is back in the late 80s, but uh, a good example of this, the Clint Malarchuk situation. You remember that? The, the, yep. the live feed where they, they put it right on him and then the, they were like, oh, my God, you know, and then yep. pulled away there. Those things happen, you know, and I think it, like you mentioned, with Technology Day, you hope that, you know, he was able to preview it, but it just is what it is. And we move on. And I think the biggest taking away point again is that he's okay. Thank God. You know, yeah, that's, that's the important, important discussion is, you know, forget the cam work, forget whatever that is uh, from what we know. Again, he's stable. Um, obviously not out of the woods yet. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of tests that will undergo to make sure uh, to try to diagnose exactly what happened. You know, if this is a, uh, hopefully just an acute situation as they would say in the medical terms. So it's just a one-off thing or uh, hopefully not, nothing chronic. And that was, you know, a culmination of some other things. So again, wishing him the best of luck and uh, you know, hopefully he makes a full recovery. Acute and chronic. Are you, are you, are you going to be joining me in my nursing classes in the fall no. here? Or? Oh, okay. No. Cause you, well, I will, I will tell you this, you give me a chronic headache. So, so how about that? So, um, uh, we'll bring you in a diagnosis, but speaking of the, <laughs> the late eighties, all right, maybe let's go to our trivia and then we've got some great Omaha coverage that I'm actually super stoked to get to our trivia question did read, um, the Vegas golden Knights faced the Montreal Canadians for a birth to the Stanley cup. Kind of interesting. Also that East versus West matchup in the quote unquote conference slash semifinals, if you will. We all know that Jimmy Schultz was the first St. Cloud state men's hockey alumni to play for Vegas. I guess who was the first St. Cloud State player to ever play for Montreal? Nick, do you have any idea about this one? Our winner, Tinner, he, yeah. he said it was a softball, um, but I don't know if anyone under 30 would get it. So uh, it's Steve. Is it Steve Martinick? Is that his last name? Martinson. Martinson. Okay. Yeah. Correct answer is Steve Martinson. Uh, his college career was from 77 to 79 with the Huskies, and then he appeared with Montreal from 88 to, I believe, 90. Um, currently coaches the Minnesota Wilds ECHL affiliate, uh, the Allen Americans, and was also the first American-born coach to ever hit 1,000 wins. So uh, kind of cool. Um, you know, and he's, uh, I think, besides Frank Bramsek in the, you know, 50s and 60s, I think he was the second uh, St. Cloud State Husky to um, play professionally, if I'm not mistaken, um, totally could be wrong on that, but I think that's what I read. So nonetheless, congratulations, Tanner Heath, uh, sitting first on the leaderboard at three wins, Caleb Peabody or Caleb pod, as we apparently now like to call him, uh, sitting at two wins and everyone else, of course, at one, um, Nick, we're going to move into some Omaha stuff. I, I'm pretty excited. Uh, the Omaha Mavericks, 14, 11, and one last year, uh, finished fourth in the NCHC with 40 points. They were three points behind Duluth and five points behind our St. Cloud state Huskies. Uh, some interesting stats here. They were four and O in overtime last year, but gave up five shorthanded goals in the year. Uh, kind of interesting for a power play clicking at 20%, 85.5% at the penalty kill, a plus four goal differential, 3.3 goals per game and 3.1 goals against per game. Interesting enough with a minus 102 shot differential on the season. Never would have guessed that one. Uh, before we talk about uh, Omaha as a team, I got to throw this in because for my summer job, Nick, I essentially designed and maintained the website 
uh, Omaha's website is super amazing. Uh, you know, it's actually, I, I really like it. There's only one thing. If you, if you're the guy who runs the Omaha website, I'm going to add one thing on the right hand side where the drop down menu is for the extra links. Uh, that's where the Google ad tends to pop up. So it's hard to get to those links if you're looking on the desktop on the right hand side. So, um, Hint, hint, <laughs> if, you, if you're listing uh, Omaha Website Guy. But other than that, your website is fantastic and it's awesome. And I don't know why anyone wouldn't play for Omaha looking at their website. They have a nice little recruiting video, uh, you know, for people to see the spaces too. It's just awesome. And their logo, Nick, everyone thinks that it's drab and boring. What a cool logo. It says UNO in their logo. And then it's a big O for Omaha. How creative is that? And I bet you a lot of people don't see it similar to the Minnesota Wild logo where it's it's essentially a bear, if you will. Sorry about that. I just think it's cool. And I think, you know, Omaha doesn't get the love that they're they're looking for. You know what I mean? Do you have anything to add about the logo or should I move right on to our our players? You're like, what is I think you on? covered it. What's, what's, what's going on here? Let's reel it in. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> So moving in here, uh, they for sure, um, they've got four players essentially that um, are on the move as far as, um, as far as graduates are concerned. The one that is definitely gone from what I've read uh, is Jordan Clare, who was a fifth year grad um, for sure, essentially was granted his sixth year of eligibility because of a medical waiver, technically could play this year. And I believe it would be his seventh season. <laughs> As a Maverick, if you wanted to play, he played his first game in over a thousand days due to injury when he played uh, only one game this year, uh, this past year on December, in December against Colorado College. Um, so, but he finished with nine points in 57 games as a defenseman in his career with the Mavericks. I think he's on to uh, bigger and better things, if you will. But the question marks still remaining. Um, Nate, is it Nepke? Is that Kinepke. how you say Kinepke. Kinepke. Yeah, Kinepke. I always butcher that one. 98 games played for him, 18 points in the back end. He might come back. Kevin Conley, 124 games played for him, 66 points. He'd be a great re-addition to this lineup that is still very forward heavy. They don't lose much this year. Uh, interesting story about Conley. Played his freshman year at Denver uh, for 28 games, then went back to the USHL in Sioux Falls and then came back for his previous three years at UNO as well. And then, of course, Martin Sundberg on that forward end, 86 games for him and 27 points. Uh, if either one of those forwards for sure comes back, I think that would be a great addition. Uh, they have uh, three transfers going out. Noah Prokop to Colorado College had four points as a forward in 51 games. Josh Boyer, 36 games and five points for him. He's off to St. Lawrence. The one that I think really hurts them, Nick, uh, another forward, Ryan Brushett, a sophomore. He's going to UMass Lowell. He had 25 points in 54 games, almost a half a point per game player. And then before we get to the freshman class uh, and the one transfer that we know is coming in, Nick, do you anticipate as we look at this graduate class per se uh, with Martin Sundberg, Kevin Conley, um, and Nate Konepke, uh, do you see any of them coming back, especially the forwards? You know, it's hard to say. Um, you know, every player um, has their reasons either to come back or to go. Um you know, what's this bring in, you know, the story of Kevin Fitzgerald, he, you know, we talked about it a couple of times before, but he, it seemed like before we got to the NCAA playoffs uh, this past spring, he was almost kind of saying, you know, this has been a good ride. Um, you know, I, I've done all I could do with hockey. I'm okay with that. And then you become the national runner up. And then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, let's do this again. You know, so it's hard to say, you know, both of them could, you know, and I think it depends on what they look at, you know, what's best for them as individuals, what's best for them as players. And I think they can make uh, contributions. Where do they see themselves in the lineup? 
And the second part, yeah, what's the team they're coming back to? Um, I, you know, there's a reason why we picked Omaha here later uh, in the sequence because we, we do think that they're uh, kind of that team that's on the rise. We do think that a team that showed, especially last year, that they can start to, you know, play with the big boys and actually start to knock them down a little bit. Um, one transfer you're missing, too, uh, is John Schultz, the Burma Jimmy Schultz. He's actually transferring to St. Thomas. Uh, he announced that on his uh, Twitter, I believe, three or four weeks ago. So John Schultz also, uh, you know, he was uh, more of a depth defenseman being used by Mike Gavinay and his staff, but uh, trying to look a little bit for more consistent ice time up there uh, in uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul here with St. Thomas. So yeah. um, and, and, oh, we'll, put, we'll put it this way. If they both come back, this is a team that's got some scoring depth. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I think that's the big thing that underrates non Nebraska Omaha. They don't have that one guy mm-hmm. um, that uh, maybe is going to steal a show because uh, you can maybe argue Taylor Ward, who had 13 goals this past season, he was their leading goal scorer, but not their leading point getter. Uh, but at Chase, like I said, Chase Krubu had nine. Tyler Weiss, that had seven. Uh, Kevin Conley had nine. We know things are, you know, some of these guys are out. But, you know, it's trying to give you some of the balance that Nebraska all. Well, I enjoyed this past season. Matt Miller at eight, Brock Bremer at six, and then Martin Sundberg at six goals as well. So, if, you know, these guys come back, they, they have some good building blocks. They got some good depth. And then you got guys uh, who maybe don't necessarily score, but play uh, some of that old bruising brand of hockey. One guy that we watched quite a bit was Joey Abade. He was a thorn in St. Claude State side whenever he was on the ice. Uh, I think third or fourth line center was kind of his role, but he would go out. He was a buzzsaw, just go out there and hit everything that skated. Uh, so you got that combination of skill. You got also like a little bit of bronze who said this Omaha team is built well they're, they're coached well and you know it'll be I think if these guys come back this this team could be poised and make that next step but I think it also depends on who they got coming into one I think that's going to be something we'll have to take a look at yeah it's interesting this team could I, I swear I know we say this every week but honestly this Omaha team could finish anywhere from six to like second I mean mm-hmm. <laughs> they they're they have they are potentially loaded for bear if they get the right bodies back um I'm going to move actually uh, speaking of players coming in, I think this one's a little bit different this week. We're actually going to go to the impact players first coming up. And there's a reason for that. And I think you'll see it in, in a second here. I have uh, four players. Technically I have six. Um, and I think that's very fitting of Omaha. Cause like you mentioned, they win by committee, right? Uh, their impact players, five of their top six scores last year had a shooting percentage at 15% or better. And the one who didn't was their stud defenseman, Brandon Scanlon, right? So, I, I mean, you look at a team that really does win and score by committee, that minus 102 shot differential isn't necessarily indicative of a team that, you know, is under duress. It means that their opportunities are quality opportunities. We compare them to the Denver Pioneers, and we talked about their plus 124 shot differential, but they finished, you know, fifth in the NCHC and didn't have the season they were looking for. So it's a very interesting stat. Number one for impact players uh the question mark is do they get both these guys back i categorize these guys as the flight risks these are the two guys that potentially could sign pro contracts here still uh chase primo like you mentioned only led the team in points kind of very rare that you see that someone who leads the team in points and that's all they lead the team and normally they lead in goals or assists as well 23 points on the year for him then of course brandon scanlon on that back end uh, gonna be a junior this year uh 17 points in 24 contests for him last year um of course, you mentioned Taylor Ward, 22 points, led the team in goals. Glad you mentioned that. Uh, the group that I think could be a real difference maker, minus the the transfer coming in and the freshmen, um, are essentially the new kids of last year, specifically John, Johnny Tychonic, um, who was a transfer from North Dakota, had eight points on the back end last year, really didn't have that breakout season that I think UNO was looking for, but 
you know, his game really, really improved in the second half of the year. And he's a guy that I think, especially if you're looking on that defensive core, if you do lose both defensemen, you know, he's going to be a big growing spot. And then on the front end, Caden Bolson was hurt for 85% of the year. He had 32 points in 44 games with Fargo the year before, you know, you just add another body like that into it. You know, if anything, your bottom six, I think it just bolsters that piece. Um, and then their goaltender, Nick, I, you know, I think maybe, if you haven't gotten a chance to check out his mic'd up session at the end of the year, that's Isaiah Seville, uh, a 303 goals against average and a 907 save percentage, a 12, 11, and one on the year. Um, Nick, is there anybody in that group that you feel, you know, might be an impact player? Is there someone you have pegged? I just look at this lineup and it's like, I could have named 10 guys that could be impact players because as you mentioned, they just win so much by committee. But I think, if we're being honest, the Chase Primo and Brandon Scanlon's pro contract situation, plus Martin Sundberg um, and Kevin Conley, if they're going to come back, um, is going to influence a little bit about, um, you know, what the makeup of this team is going to look like. Because as we move into the freshman class, which we will in a second here, this team could potentially be very loaded for bear. It really could. I think you mentioned a lot of the names that I would have mentioned, but I would just add, you know, for, for Johnny Tyconic, um, I hundred percent agree with you. Uh, 100% uh, is a guy that was adjusting to the way that Omaha played. He, he started to get more comfortable as the, the season went on. And I think he's a great skater. Number one, he's a great skating defenseman. I think he will continue to improve, especially next season. Uh, the one question mark about Caden Bolson is, you know, again, it's a guy that has history of producing points, but when you're out and you only get three games, you know, that transition uh, from one type of play and lead to another, you know, it almost would be his freshman year coming in next year. So how quickly can he assimilate to, uh, you know, being more, having more ice time next year will be huge. Uh, but I honestly think, uh, you know, I mentioned his name before, but Joy Abadi, He's a guy that when he's out there, he, he almost has this Ryan Reeves uh, or Will Carrier type kind of game to him. He's the guy that it forces you to always have your head in a swivel. He's a guy that is your defenseman. You're going back to retrieve the puck. You know if he's on the ice, you're absolutely taking a look over both shoulders. Now, with that being said, Joy Body also got into some trouble with some maybe some not-so-great penalties uh, this past year. Uh, well, a couple of coming so, against St. Cloud State. So Ryan but, Reeves, right? So but, Ryan Reeves for sure. But, <laughs> but but at the same time, you know, but that's there's an, there's an, an effectiveness to that. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, again, so, you know, he, he, again – only nine points in the season, but there's going to be a lot of things that he does, especially on that bottom six, that it, that kind of – he plays that very broad Omaha-style hockey that we've seen in years past. And we're, as we mentioned this before, no, we're seeing kind of a transition with Omaha being – kind of that soul, you know, just bruising type of hockey. They've got some speed. They have some skill. They're going to have more skill coming in with, you know, this new freshman class. And so they're kind of in this transition side. And, you know, I really do think guys like Joy Abadi, who are going to be in that bottom six uh, role, are going to be important to kind of keep them level-headed to really try to keep opposing top six players from either A, being the defensive zone, or two, punishing opposing defensemen. They're going to give uh, teams a, a different look when he's on the ice. And again, when you have that type of an aggressive hockey guy, he just finishes every check. Uh, he's an effective player so if he just continues to play a cleaner style and stay out of the box and avoid some of those boarding and some of those you know you can set undisciplined penalty calls uh, he's a very big impact player just not one you see on the score sheet you know and and it's interesting too uh, the the piece about um you know where where are they essentially going to sit as far as uh you know those freshmen coming in the freshman class uh, i have um 
I think seven potential that I could see potentially making the jump three for sure, maybe four or even five, again, depending on what that, what that roster does here. Uh, as I kind of get a look here, as um, I pull it up, as you can tell, I'm rambling here, but again, uh, two defensemen for sure, I think coming in and then a forward, interestingly enough, um, we're, this will tie back to our coaching staff as well. Um, but three players playing for, is it Muskegon? Or, no, Muskegon. Yeah, in the USHL, they're all playing for the same team. And one of the assistant coaches for UNO has some coaching ties there as well. So kind of an interesting little look there. But three players that are coming from this group that all three of them are my guys that are pegged for sure that are coming. Uh, apologies if I get this name wrong. I think it's Jacob Guevin, um, G-U-E-V. I N uh, he's 18 from Drummondville, uh, Quebec, 53 games played in the USHL as a defenseman, 45 points for him. Nick seven goals, 38 assists. What a great addition. That'll be for them on the back end. Uh, Average. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Davis Pennington, uh, he's 20 from Michigan, uh, 53 games on the back end for him as well. 30 points. Uh, with the same group and then on the forward end uh, this kid's definitely got to be coming a West Fargo product so you know he's got to be good right North Dakota native uh, Cameron Berg 51 games played for him 58 points on the front end um, for the Lumberjacks 27 goals 31 assists that's a great great addition for them as a guy that I think is going to be there potentially Cam Mitchell 20 years old. He had 26 points with Omaha in the USHL in 53 games. Uh, and then the three others I had, Griffin Ludke um, on the back end, he had 12 points in 44 games with Sioux City. He's only 18. I think he stays, but you never know what they're looking for. Vincent Nardone, uh, he's 20 years old, seven points in six games only in the M MJ. That's kind of more of an age thing there. And then Tyler Rollwagen, uh, just turning 20 from Bloomington, Minnesota. He had 18 points in 54 games on the front end with Fargo in the USHL. I don't think the last three of those are coming but you never you never know but i uh, before we get to our transfer a guy like cameron berg on the front end 58 points in 51 games and then jacob guevin 45 points in 53 games and pennington as well i mean throw him in there 30 points in 53 both those last two on the back end what does that do to an omaha group that if they get sunberg back they get conley back you know and both of their um, big dogs that potentially could sign pro contracts don't go. Uh, what does this do for this group? To, could they really make a push for the top two in the NCHC at that point? Uh, it's going to be tough, uh, you know, because, again, you know, one thing Omaha has done, as we've mentioned before, is win by committee. Uh, but I think what's more important, more about what it does as far as making them compete for that top two, I think it more – it's, I think the conversation really is what does that do to their game style? Uh, let's talk about those two defensemen. When you have points like that, that means you can skate. That means you can move the puck well. That means you're offensively minded. Uh, again, continuing that transition to more speed and skill. And as you and I both know, uh, Noah, that the top three teams in the NCAA, North Dakota, uh, St. Cloud, and Duluth, the one thing they do so well is get out of their zone quick. It's that transition game that they excel in. And for Nebraska, Omaha, trying to get some better legs, some better, um, you could call it transition D that are back there. And then you have Forger that can take that, uh, say, on the rush uh, to get in there, whether it's a cycle, whether it's a, a rush chance, but actually have the skill to maybe pot a chance in transition. That's the recipe for success in the NCAT. You got to be able to do both. But more importantly, you have to be able to get out of your zone efficiently and quickly. And with those three additions, if they do indeed come in, uh, that's what that does. So in theory, Absolutely, you're in at least the top four 
uh, discussion because now you have, you know, I guess that top line versus top line type skill uh, and speed, especially, uh, you know, to kind of, you know, counterattack those other teams. But more importantly, uh, it's about how can you finish? And again, um, you know, it's still yet to be seen. Again, there's still a lot of question marks for this squad. But again, if they're there, number one and two, can they execute it? Uh, this I mean, this makeover for you, I know we've been seeing over the last couple of seasons, continues to take shape. And it's going to be a very exciting team to watch. To complete the makeover here, and we're at 38 minutes, but I think we're going to push a little bit longer before we hit the extra ice session today because Omaha, we got a couple more things to touch here. But to complete that rounded off squad, if you will, Nick, they are adding one transfer that we know of, and it's a big transfer from the University of Minnesota, 87 points in the Big Ten. Nick, who are they adding on the back end? Oh, geez. Uh, some defenseman dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's a golfer. Yeah, Brandon Matt. McManus is yeah. <laughs> going to be our guy. 136 games played for him, 39 goals and 48 assists on the back end. That's, that's super impressive. What does, you know, a fifth year player coming from the university of Minnesota coming from, of course, the coolest St. Cloud state coach ever, Bob Motzko. Yeah, <laughs> great guy though, honestly, I, I coming from his coaching staff and his tutelage there, uh, you know, what does a guy like him bring to that defensive core that if you're getting Gwevin Pennington on the back end as well, and maybe you get uh Konepke that stays, <laughs> I mean, is there even a roster spot at this point? <laughs> All there is for him, for McManus, uh, yeah. because you got to remember, you know, with St. Cloud, the transfer portal, uh, look what the fifth year transfer Seamus Donnie, who did to sure up that top two pairing against Nick Perbix. So, you know, I wouldn't look at McManus, more on the points, but he's a veteran presence to a still a very young team that I think could probably use uh, some guy that's a leader. And McManus has shown he has been in a leadership role, especially with the Gophers. Uh, obviously, again, he fits the mold that they're trying to get more towards, more of that offensive-minded team. They want to be able to not have you know, that typical defensive defenseman, I think what this program has really been known for that stayed home and, you know, let's just, you know, try to defend well, sort of that trap area, but now they want to attack. They want to, they know if they want to compete for those top four spots that you can't just sit back. You have to go and bring your game to your opponent and McManus can do that. And again, a veteran presence of what looks to be already a very young decor. Um, you get the right pairing with him that at least shores up your top two and maybe takes a little bit of pressure off. Some of these younger kids will be coming in um, who obviously again, has some high but as you know, Noah, those transitions between junior to college or even high school to college, and those can sometimes for players be tough. There's a learning curve associated with that. So having some guy that's, you know, been, had four years, who's you know, been at a, a big time school, such as the Gophers coming in and sure up your back. And that's huge for the squad. And again, for a team that's looking to generate more offense from their back end, he provides that also on, on paper, but more so he's going to be a veteran presence there. That's going to really help sure up that defensive core. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, what a great addition for them. I mean, it's just, it's a great, great pickup and makes them an ever more dangerous team. Uh, my dad's a Gophers fan and he's gotten plenty of games to watch Brandon and what he does. And he's a guy that almost plays like a forward at times, the way he drives possession and drives the play. So what a great pickup for the Mavericks and their coaching staff is we're going to touch on them a little bit next year. Always interesting to read the coaching staff bios and, you know, I, I know every coaching staff in the NCHC is great, but you look at Omaha's group, their balance and what they bring to the table. It's just fantastic. Of course, Mike Gavinette, I believe it's his fifth season as head coach entering this year. Uh, he's actually the first UNO player to be an Omaha head coach in team history. Didn't know that 47 points in his career as a Maverick and still ranks 10th all time in points uh, for defensemen in the program. Uh, and then of course, spent a little bit of time at Northern Alberta Institute 
uh, before um, coming over to the Mavericks. Interesting, he led them to a 36-0 and record, which is only the second time in 51 years that a team has finished undefeated in that conference. Grandson of Canadian hockey coaching legend Claire Drake, and his grandfather was inducted into the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame and Hockey Hall of Fame as well. Um, so, I mean, he's just a fantastic coach to bring along. I want to get your thoughts on him in just a second, but I, I'm going to roll through the assistant coaches as well. Dave Noel Bernier in his fifth year joining uh, Mike Gabinette when he made his transition. Also played for UNO, had 50 points in his career. Uh, he spent time with the Detroit Red Wings as an assistant coach. Um, uh, also with Muskegon, the Lumberjacks in 2010 as an assistant GM for three years. So there's that coaching connection I'm talking about, you know, knowing that staff there. And also spent a year in the AHL uh, in Grand Rapids with that Detroit program as well. And then this, I mean, when you're looking at that pedigree for that first head coach and assistant coach that's listed there. The second assistant coach, you know, sometimes maybe doesn't bring, you know, as much to the table, but I don't think that can be said uh, for this group. Assistant coach Paul Girard in his fourth season spent two years with the Calgary Flames, was an assistant coach for Dallas for two years and the Avs for a year, um, began his coaching career in 1997 um, pl after playing for the North Stars, played defense for Lake Superior State, uh, you know, drafted by the New York Rangers, had 113 points in 156 games as a defenseman uh, for Lake Superior and also coached at Lake Superior around the 2000s. I mean, when you bring a pedigree of these guys that not only have they worked at those that highest level, but really developed those NHL talents and able to bring that to the college game. And then you add a head coach like Mike Gabinette. I mean, what can you say about this coaching staff and what, uh, you know, what Omaha has to work with moving forward in a transition that when Mike Gabinette came in, I think a lot of people were uh, unsure of how that transition would look. I'd say it look, it's looked pretty good. Well, again, you know, as a, as a player and uh, well, you know, we'll say it's a prospective player. I'm at, I'm in junior, uh, I'm in high school and I'm looking at, you know, you know, colleges, you know, if I've, I've, I've I feel like I'm good enough to, to play NCAA Division One hockey. I feel like I've got a good chance to go into the best conference in college hockey, which is the NCHC. And you look at, you know, college uh, coaching bios, right? And you look at, you know, if you have anything NHL related that catches people's eyes, right? Because you don't get there by accident. You don't, uh, you know, you don't just know somebody to get up there, uh, especially as a player or a coach. You know, you have something to bring to the table when you see that. I think that's always attractive for young for young players because that tells them that you know they've been there, they've done that, they know how what it takes to get there. That means that they know that's you know what what can I do as a player as far as developing? Because I mean, heck, I think every but it's never thrown on a pair of skates um, unless you're 34 and old washed up like I am dreams of actually going and, you know, winning a Stanley cup. Right. So it's like, how do I get myself there? And, you know, when you look at the pedigrees from the NHL experience with those players and his coaches on the staff uh, that tells a player, like, you know, say prospective player that says, Hey, these guys have been there. They know what it takes to get there. They're going to be able to help me tell me what I need to improve and, and develop me into a player that could either crack uh, you know, say uh, whether it's a, uh, a, you know, a UFA contract like Jimmy Schultz signed after being a Hobie Baker hat trick finalist, or maybe I develop myself into something where I, I maybe get uh, good enough for a draft spot. Who knows? But uh, that's always intriguing. And then Mike Gabinet, he's a no BS type coach. Um, there's no question, but his players love him. Um, and, and that approach with him, talking with him in media day back in 2019 in St. Paul, uh, you can tell he really cares for his players. He really cares for the program, um, cares for um, the product that's on the ice. 
but he's also, he preaches hard work. That's his biggest thing is that, you know, if you're going to go out there and you're, I'm going to give you 45 seconds of shift, you better give me all 45 seconds. If I see you go for only 44, uh, there's a spot there in the end of the bench that you can go and warm up. So, um, but with that being said, He's a coach that likes to roll four lines. He's a he's a coach that uh, I think has came in. He's 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 started that transition again from just a bang bodies, heavy hitting type style. As now we're starting to see the right players uh, to really help kind of compete again with Denver, to compete with North Dakota, with St. Cloud, with Duluth, who have that more of that pro style of hockey that come in. And uh, you know, again, this is a very big year for Mike Evan and his staff. I think you now what fourth or fifth season now for him. Um, so it, it'll be it, it's that report card year for a coaching staff you know so where 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 did you start now where do you finish or where have you gone and you know does this earn them enough pedigree to keep them around um so far i think that this is going to be a show and tell year for omaha from what we see i think we're excited for them there's a reason why we haven't picked to be uh you know like you said near from six to second but if they finish in the top four i uh, i think that you know it's going to be a very big success story for the squad that uh, is looking to really try to crack and solidify itself so it's not just like a, a, a team that's in the nct but a true competitor that can go and actually compete for uh, you know for an nchc conference championship yeah only one time uh, in the head coach's tenure at omaha have they finished with less than 10 wins and they had nine that year so it kind of shows the strength and the growth of this program they've been a group though that's been hovering around that 500 mark or just over. And I think they're trying to take that next step, grabbing just a couple more wins along the way to push them. Again, like we talked about, three points away from Duluth, five from St. Cloud, and those three and two spots last year. So also I want to extend a thank, uh, a thank you to Jordan McAlpine, the sports uh, editor out there. Uh, a lot of this info is coming from uh, stuff that he has published as well too. So I want to thank him and give him his credits for uh, doing a wonderful job out there. Uh, last thing on the docket before we talk about the overall um, – assessment of the Omaha Mavericks here, the complete schedule, of course, they've got Miami twice, St. Cloud twice as well. St. Cloud will be November 12th and 13th at the Herb Brooks national hockey center. And then February 18th and 19th at Baxter arena in Omaha, Colorado college, Denver and North Dakota are all on the docket twice. And then Western and Duluth will be on the schedule one time, Nick, this Omaha group, the impressions from last year, they were a team that they grew really heavily, I thought, in the pod. We're kind of up and down in the second half. I think it was, I don't want to say demoralizing, but it was tough to finish that schedule with North Dakota and not really get the results that you were looking for. Um, but again, I, I don't think it dampens the successful season too much, unfortunately. The the first round exit uh, against Denver, I think, in the NCHC playoffs, I think maybe hurt more than anything. Um, but this group really did take some steps next year. Now they're just looking to keep that team game and that consistency and that skill-based game continuing to grow with the already hard and heavy physical style and blue-collar-like mentality they have. What did you see from UNO last year? How do you think it's going to translate to this year? And finally, of course, how did the St. Cloud State Huskies combat uh, that aggressive forecheck for four games this year? Uh, first, uh, a couple of things, right? So let's, let's, let's work backwards. Uh, how do you, you know, again, that's where your defensemen for St. Cloud have to be so good at reading plays. Uh, Nick Perbix, uh, Seamus Donahue, uh, just almost sometimes slowing things down a bit, right? Uh, sometimes you just want to, you know, get under control, make sure you come up the ice together as a group, uh, get out of your zone effectively. And if that means a flip off the glass, uh, or just a flip up in the middle of the ice to relieve pressure, um, it's those smart little minor decisions that often get way 
way overlooked from the casual fan that do so much for alleviate pressure. Uh, but also transition game. We talked about, you know, Oma is trying to get in some players that can help them in transition, but St. Cloud uh, from their forwards to the D, they're so good at turning the puck from defense to offense. Uh, and I think, honestly, preventing them from even getting in, right? For, for you, I know if you're trying to be more skilled, that means you got to make a stand at the blue line, force them to give up the puck and go get it. And with the way that the St. Cloud State defense is built with some really great skaters, if you can be the first guy on pucks, good puck support from your other def, def, uh, defensemen, from your forwards to again transition that puck out of your zone quickly, just take away that forecheck and then go in and do your thing. So use your speed and still get chances out the rush. Go in and create that cycle game, force them to defend and force them to stand still. Um, that's one of the areas that I think UNO still would like to get uh, work on would be a little bit better defensively uh, in, in terms of just trying to be uh, not caught in their zone so many times. And that was one thing that my Gavin even mentioned a couple of times was he was just defending too much and it eventually wore them down and they just weren't able to really use that speed and skill game to their advantage because all their big guns were just tired at the end of games. So but for what we saw them last year, again, we saw a transition from more of that heavy hitting styles exclusively to this. Holy cow. These guys can skate. These guys can score. They had a little bit more finesse to the game, especially in the offensive zone. If they could get that puck and establish possession. Right. So um, that was the big thing. And then for this year, the big question mark is there's a lot of new faces potentially coming in, right? There's going to be transfers. There's going to be freshmen. If this team can gel early, and this is where, you know, the pod almost helps the team. And I think it certainly was beneficial for St. Cloud State because you play so much hockey in so little time. If you can get that experience under your exhibition, if you can get in in your training camp and really get a team to gel early, this is a very dangerous looking squad on paper. And if they continue that transition to that skill, that pushing the pace team, as you mentioned, driving possession, instead of waiting to be sort of opportunistic, such as maybe a Colorado college uh, type team would play, uh, they could easily finish top four, top three, maybe top two. Um, but again, you know, it, you talk about the matchups, I think this is good North Dakota. You have to embrace that challenge. You have to go up and say, Hey, we can skate with these guys, but yeah, we can beat these guys. And that's going to be the next thing with Omaha is they have to start believing themselves that, Hey, We've got the roster now. We've got the coaching staff. We have to go out there and execute when we can't be afraid of nobody. I think we saw a little bit more of that towards the end of the season, but now you got to start and finish with that. Every single game, you have to go in there to believe that you can be competitive and you can go in and get a win. Uh, and whether, where you play, whether it's your own rink or at an opposing rink, you have to go in and have that winning mentality. Yeah, I, I like I like the the piece you talked about too. It, you know, we know the identity of this Omaha team, right? It's that heavy, hard, physical style combined with a little bit of that speed and skill. Uh, it's a very unique identity, I think, to the NCHC, if you will. Um, and, and if you're Saint Cloud State, you've got to be willing and ready to understand that it's a game that's going to be won and lost along the boards and in the corners. It's not going to be a game that's going to be run and gun. You know, North Dakota, where everything is all about transitional awareness and making sure you have a high forward. It's a game that's back and forth. It's going to be punch for punch, and both both fighters are going to be you know black and blue by the end of that one. I mean, it's a it's it's a kind of an old school style of play, if you will, mixed with the modern uh, era. And uh, I, I really enjoy when um, UNO comes to town and when the Huskies get UNO because I think that I I don't know it's the brand of hockey that I enjoy watching. It's just a nice physical, you know, good mix, if you will. Um, 
you have anything to add on that? You look at something to add there. Yeah, actually, yeah. well, if if you watch what UMass did, I mean, U.S. with all their offensive skill, they were actually very, very heavy, especially in the semifinal match against UMD. In fact, I think that their physicality with UMass, um, that sort of brand was what wore UMD down, especially in the overtime. You know, they used their, their body and their physicality offensively just to pin guys down. And then the, smartly, I think, what they did with puck possession after they get it. They didn't, you know, they were okay – with quality and not quantity. I think that's the one thing with UMass that gets overlooked with that squad was in the offensive side after they banged and rattled you and they kept you on the ice for a minute and a half, almost, you know, maybe two minutes to shift. But what they did is they didn't force plays. A lot of stuff was behind the net. A lot of it was, I don't want to just go low to high to get a shot and then maybe it gets blocked. No, I want a shot on net. So a lot of times they went low to high and they went right, right back down low again. Their mantra was, I want to wear you. I want to suck the wind out of your lungs. And Omaha has sort of some of the makings of that, right? They have guys that can do one or the other, but with UMass, they could do both. So if you can maybe combine some of the skill gets a little bit of brawn and maybe get a little bit more skill out of those guys that, and maybe there's to be more of that, like a Joey Abadi, like you mentioned, that can go in and be tough. Uh, that's a very dangerous recipe. And again, for teams like St. Cloud, it keeps them honest, right? Um, you know, for those big, heavy physical games, you know that you know, when guys are coming at you, um, you know, you have to be ready to take hits. You got to be ready to respond and also give out physicality. I think that was one thing that St. Cloud did really, really well throughout the course of the playoffs last, uh, this last spring was, you know, they not only they respond a lot, but they also drove a lot of that physicality as well. They weren't afraid to get, like you mentioned, on the long boards into those battles and get out with the puck and win those battles. So it's going to be important. And Yuma, uh, you of Omaha, I should say, um, has all the makings to, to be that fighter as well as that skill guy. So they were a dark horse for that reason. And I think they're going to have a, a great season, but again, depending on how quickly this team can shell, that's going to be the big uh, X factor for me. Two keys for the Mavericks, in my personal opinion. Number one, and it's actually a skill I think they do very well, but continue to create redirect opportunities in front of that. I think they do such a good job getting to the to the blue paint. I think that's when they have success is when you talked about that movement low to high, right? Being able to get pucks to the point and just have bodies, you know, your leading scorers in front of the net, redirecting pucks, and then you have your second and third forward crashing the crease when that happens, being able to put away the loose change. I think that that's, you know, that's Omaha's identity, right? You know, it's not always going to be a running gun pretty play. It has to be you know kind of a gritty garbage hole sometimes i think if they can continue to grow and continue to create havoc similar to what i think st cloud state did at the tail end of their season right all their goals were kind of you know those gritty greasy grease band goals as brett larson likes to call them i think uno can continue to create that style for themselves number two um and it's also an interesting one. Isaiah Seville moving into his junior year in net. Of course, a 303 GAA and a 907 save percentage. Um, and, you know, this is not a knock on him by any means. He was fantastic last year. But I think even if he continues to elevate his game and gets that save percentage around, you know, like a 920, 925, starts to steal one or two more saves for his club every night, this is going to be a very, very dangerous Maverick team that can maybe start to provide not only some more wins, but some more separation each game against their opponents. Because as we know, the one, I don't want to say drawback, but um, reality of playing that blue collar game is that you're not going to be like North Dakota where you come in and you win six to one, you know, in a handful of your games each year and be able to create that huge separation just based on, you know, speed alone, you know, it's going to be kind of a war that's going to finish in a four, three game, a five, three game with an empty net or two to one in overtime, that sort of thing. Uh, I think if you have a goaltender that can steal that extra save and then combine with those goal scorers that continue to develop that uh, killer mentality, if you will, I think it's going to be very successful for Omaha. And they're the team that uh, I would say moving into next year is, 
really a wild card that could be very, very dangerous if all the pieces uh, come together, if you will. Nick, I don't have anything to add. We're actually already at 55 minutes here. So we're going to have a very short uh, extra ice session um, that we're going to talk a little bit about development and something interesting that I noticed at the ice rink the past week. Nick, anything else to add uh, with Omaha before we head out? Not with Omaha, but I think we missed something with, uh, uh, we're going to go uh, with our news here. That was Alabama Huntsville. Mm-hmm. Um, because we covered them extensively all of last summer and rightfully so they deserved uh, a lot of attention and it sounds like they will be suspending operations for the 2021-22 season and the reason for that um, uh, there's there's good and bad here right so the, the, the bad is obviously they're not playing but the good is uh, they submitted an application to join Atlantic Hockey in that conference and mm-hmm. uh, also with that crowdfunding last year reporting over 17 million dollars raised for that squad so i think it's more uh it's it's more that contingency right uh for them doing the fundraising keeping the program part of the stipulation was we need to find a conference to play in so i think it's more about their application and being accepted into atlantic hockey is where they're really trying to stick to their guns as you know yeah we want this team here but here is what you have to do for us to use these this fund that we've raised and to keep this going for the next 10 years so uh again it it sucks that they're not going to be playing but again they're sticking to their game plan as you know we need to get a conference home and it sounds like again they have a a admission for atlanta country of 2020-23 and hopefully um they do get accepted into that provide them uh, some stability i think also with atlanta hockey for them hopefully a little bit less travel uh you know for them and hopefully there's some cost saving measures there as well for atlanta hockey not that you know, again, the two Alaska schools are kind of in the same boat now uh, in terms of trying to save their program. But I do think it was important that we mentioned Alabama Huntsville that, yeah, we won't see them next season, but it's more, a, you know, still a, some positive signs going that, you know, if, if one decision goes their way at Atlantic Hockey, they're accepted. Uh, the program has done everything they've wanted to do since uh, the shutdown essentially last year. So uh, one last final step for them and hopefully they can get it done. Alabama Huntsville is on strike is what you're trying to tell me. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. I hope it all works out for them. I mean, what, what a great, what a great chunk of change they were able to raise and you hope that they can carry it forward. And again, similar to almost like you hope that they can match kind of Arizona state and, and the way that they function as an independent as they continue to search for their own conference uh, out in the Southwest. Uh, speaking of what is next on the docket, uh, if you are, done listening to the show at this point we have western michigan that will be our topic for next week followed by north dakota and duluth of course so uh yeah you won't want to miss it but we're going to jump right into our extra ice session And welcome into our extra ice session. It's going to be a short and sweet one, maybe five, 10 minutes tops. But uh, Nick, every time we say that, it goes about half an hour and uh, you miss work. So uh, we'll try to keep it. We'll try to keep it light here. Uh, it was something that we, you know, we didn't really have an idea of what we were going to talk about for the extra ice session. I kind of wanted to steer away from some NHL stuff today. Not that it's not important, but, you know, I think that we're going to hit that heavy again in a couple of weeks as the Stanley Cup playoffs will uh, kind of come closer to the fruition of a champion, if you will. Uh, but it was interesting. I skate with a couple of guys, Nick, um, and they're Air Force guys. Some of them have been skating for, you know, maybe a year or so, but then some of them, you know, just started, you know, two, three, four months ago and have continued to grow the game. And, you know, we've jumped out, you know, for the past two months at least and kind of, you know, we've seen them, we've given them pointers, you know, the, the typical question, how do you lift the puck? How do you do this? How do you shoot harder? How do you do this? And, you know, it's great to see, you know, they skate four times a week and they're starting to grow and learn how to play the sport. I, 
I, I was thinking about this as we got off the ice on Friday, I believe it was, um, you know, and I was tired and, you know, my feet kind of hurt, you know, in, in the skates and stuff. And I was thinking about, you know, even as a player who's played the game for over 20 years, there are days where I'm kind of like, oh, the gear feels heavy. You know, I feel tired, this sort of thing. It's kind of fascinating to me to think that some of these guys at 25, 26, 27 years old have, you know, paid the money, the expensive bills to get to try the sport and have been able to to grow and be able to, to try it out because I mean, it, it's a skill that you have to learn while you're young. Uh, and it's been kind of impressive to see some of these guys grow. Um, like, I don't remember what it was like to learn how to skate. I know it was important for me to learn how to skate at three years old. Um, I know we have the late bloomers like Patrick Kane who don't start until they're 10 or 11 years old. Sometimes, you know, the, the rare oddity, um, you know, it hockey is a game that I, I think is it important to, to relay the fact that, you know, starting young is important, but it also is for everybody, if you know what I mean. Sure. Um, I actually, <laughs> you, I, you're, you're sure, you're sure definitely came with a, yeah. no, I don't. <laughs> no. Well, so I think the question is, is it youth or, you know, yeah. If your if your goal is to be a professional athlete. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, the big important thing is if I'm, if I like a sport, right. Um, there's a reason why in your backyard as a kid, um, and, and, you know, I'm trying to make this to be fun at all. You know, you get a cool, you know, your, your uncle, your dad gets you a baseball glove, right? So you're, you're throwing around the ball, you learn how to catch and learn how to throw a ball, right? You get a football, you know, for me, my favorite football to throw was a vortex with the whistles, right? That oh, yeah. could toss. I mean, <laughs> at least from when you were a kid, you feel like you're tossing over like 20 miles, even though it's probably like what hundred feet, but yeah. you know, I, I digress from that, but hockey, especially, um, especially the way the game is played now. Right. Um, when you watch say like hockey day in America, um, or you watch the winter classic and, you know, these outdoor type venues and the interview, you interview players and, you know, their time in the outdoor rinks and they're reminiscing about what it looked like. They're, they're reminiscing about, you know, how they used to get off of school when they were there for five hours. Right. And it's more of the, the picture of what will it look like. Right. But what's often get missed is how important that experience is to developing hockey sense and to developing, you know, just, you know, how to play the game within the game. Um, I think that's, that's one thing that's really so important. And I think I'll let you touch on what you've seen from your guys, but I still remember uh, for me, I was a late bloomer per se. Now I started when I was five, but I was always the, the short kid. I was the small fry. So, you know, my, still are. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of it, you know, the strength for me was never, I was never going to compete, um, with a lot of my peers. Uh, I was definitely more of a, the speed guy. I was definitely more of the, the, the passer guy. I didn't have the hardest shot, but, uh, there was a, there was a coach I worked with down in Iowa and it was Wayne. And, uh, just, he, he was able to, to, to kind of get, uh, get me into some different drills that really helped me just develop my hockey sense. A lot of it was, you know, small area stuff. Right. And I still remember as a kid, Noah, you know, go to my, you know, plenty of rinks here in Minnesota. You can almost, you know, drive two miles in any one direction. You'll find an outdoor hockey rink, honestly. Uh, but there's 20 kids, uh, you know, out there and you know, you're playing 10 on 10 essentially. Uh, so there's not a whole lot of room out there and you learn quickly 
not only when you got three guys tailing on you, uh, how to create your own little space and also how to, you know, find some very small passing lanes. You know, hockey's a game of quick decisions and also a, hockey's a game of timing sometimes. And a lot of that you develop from playing in those types of games, in those types of scenarios. And uh, I want to turn it over to you because I think you're starting with some folks uh, who have uh, maybe started to try the hockey, you know, later in life. And you're seeing a very similar development. And, mm-hmm. and from what it sounds like, a very quick development. That's actually kind of fun to see. Yeah, it's actually been awesome. I mean, there are guys that, I mean, two months ago were afraid to carry the puck and that sort of thing. And we play, I mean, there's various rec leagues that are here, here in Minot, but the one that I do on uh, is actually tonight on Sunday. Uh, it's kind of like, a, oh, I would say 30% competitive, 35% competitive. It varies on, on some days. Some days we have, you know, a very good group of people that, you know, come in that make it a little bit more competitive. But, you know, it's a great ground for players who are, who are learning how to play you know, to understand that, you know, with a little bit of skill and a little bit of hockey IQ, if you will, that they can actually kind of hang with the big boys, if you will. Um, And one of the coolest things about development, especially as players start to get more skilled and start to get more confidence, uh, confidence breeds confidence, right? You know, if you, if you teach somebody a skill, they start to do it right. You tell them great job, you reinforce that. Then they start to practice the skill the same way, right? They start to get better at it. Now we've seen these guys who in two months time were afraid to carry the puck or afraid to, you know, the puck was like a live hand grenade on their stick. They're carrying the puck. They're picking their way through the neutral zone. You know, it's a fantastic little piece of development where they're able to, um, some of them even pick their heads up before they even make passes now. And, you know, people say, well, yeah, that's part of hockey. When you're 25 years old and you've never played the sport before, it's not like basketball where you can go learn how to dribble a basketball and probably pass and shoot the ball by the end of the day. Right. Um, and that, and that, and that's not, that's not shaming on basketball. It's just hockey's a different thing where you can't just go throw on a pair of skates for the first time and say, Oh, I love this sport. This is great. This is easy. It's just, that's just not how it works. Um, when you talk about the development side of the game, um, one of the things that I would recommend that I did when I was a player, I used uh, it's a slightly expensive, but that USA hockey Intelligym. Um, if you're going to chance to check that out, uh, it's kind of essentially a computer program for hockey IQ, if you will, for players looking to develop that to the next level. I just want to throw that in there. It essentially looks like a computer game almost. Um, but it, I remember coming back the next season and it, and it, and it worked wonders for me and my hockey IQ, but those types of scrimmages that we're talking about with the Sunday league that I'm in, when they come out to public hockey and we're just messing around three and three, those are the times where if you're looking to get into hockey, whether as a kid or later in life, like you talked about the game within the game, that's where you learn the number situation. That's where, I mean, what's the worst that happens at open hockey. If you turn the puck over, right. The puck is taken away from you and you learn and you move on. And it's a great growing ground for these guys, you know, to learn how to play the game. And the other piece of it is too, you know, for guys like us who have played the game for a while, being accepting of those guys and being willing to help them. And I know you and I both, you know, fit that category, but there are some guys who they won't allow some players that are learning the game late to jump into those type of games. Um, It's important to try to include those guys. You know what I mean? I've got, I've got a good story actually about that. So I was doing an open skate, I would say probably two years ago. And uh, there is a, a couple of guys who, you know, they could skate, <clears throat> uh, but, you know, definitely newer players for sure. Um, and it's the situational things, right? And there were times where, you know, he would get the puck in the defensive zone. And let's just say that, you know, in transition, right? It's always, you got to go quick, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he was, uh, you could say tentative, because he just didn't know what to do with the puck, right? Uh, so there would be myself saying, skate, 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 and a couple other guys, and he was actually getting really pissed off at us. 
And uh, we got to the bench. I'm like, Hey man, why are you upset? And he was like, you know, I just, I don't really like people telling me what to do. And we're like, no, no, no. Like, so, you know, trying to explain to him a couple of nuances. Right. So I'm like, Hey man, like, no, so we're not telling you what to do, but you know, you also don't have eyes in the back of your head. I said, so yeah. when, like when you play and I said, your wingers or the people who are in front of you usually are ones looking at you and looking behind you. And they're either trying to, they're yelling skates because usually that means there's someone behind you and they're about to lift the puck. I'm like, three times, you know, prior there was a guy that stuck up behind you. He still, still he goes, yeah. He's like, yeah. So that's more of our warning to you. Like, Hey, either get your feet moving or make a pass. Right. So it's our way of saying, Hey, there's pressure behind you. So, you know, it's a little, and then he was like, Oh, Oh, that makes sense. I'm like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not trying to tell you what yeah. to do or whatnot. You know, it's, 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 it's a, it's awareness. Right. And so funny later on that day, um, you know, you can tell, but you know that wasn't bothering him anymore but then all of a sudden um, i'm grabbing a loose puck behind the net um I, i'm kind of you know coming back and all of a sudden i hear skate 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 <laughs> and it's the same guy and turned up I, you know i turned my shoulder and you know there was a guy that was right on my rear end so i'm like oh okay so then i had to turn on the jets and you try to escape some pressure and he's like is that is that what you're supposed to do i'm like yeah no exactly he's because i'm like sometimes you just don't know they're there he's like oh that makes a lot of sense so i'm like and then that was that teaching mm -hmm. moment of a lot of where hockey players develop is not with the puck, but away from the puck. And it's not just what you can do uh, for, you know, it, it's all mental. And so well, yeah. how can you help your teammates too? So I, I thought I'd share that story because I think that was the most like, kind of directly impactful thing that I've experienced yeah. at least recently. Um, and, and it's one of those where, again, if you want this game to grow, right. And you mentioned it there with some guys who, uh, obviously we're ju either junior players or want to be junior players or high school kids that were third or fourth line. They're like, I'm better than these guys. Screw them. I, I hate guys like that. Absolutely mm -hmm. hate them. Right. Um, I'm the guy that says, Hey man, come in and you know, I'm going to let you skate. If I'm going against you, I'm not going to go up and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's, you know, stick up, whatever. I know I can do that, but no, you know, let them skate, you know, let them do a couple of things, you know, let them have a little fun with it. Right. Um, yeah. you know, as you mentioned perfectly, hockey's not like basketball, football or whatever, where you can sit there, throw a ball and all of a sudden you're pretty good. Maybe sometimes no hockey is a lot of nuances. There's a lot of things to learn. It's a very complicated game that unfortunately it's, it's, it's like running math equations every second and the math mm -hmm. equations change when you right. I think my favorite, uh, my favorite quote from one of my coaches was hockey is almost like a Rubik's cubes that you're trying to solve. That's fighting back every second, right? Cause it changes. Everything changes almost every second. Right. Um, so, but with that, if you want people to continue to go out and try the sport and enjoy it, I think that's the biggest thing you have to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Don't go in there trying to be, you know, like, you know, <laughs> a Mike Madonna or somebody like that to guys who, you know, just throwing on skates for the first time or playing with probably a, a wooden stick that their neighbor gave them to borrow for, you know, the next hour or that kind of yeah. thing and you know it's like dude let you know let them skate let them have fun and you know coach them up a little bit have, i think that's yeah. that's the role that i think you have to embrace you know as a player especially if you know like myself and, and maybe you, you know who, who've been there done that who played at high levels uh but it's our job now to be the voice of excitement to be the voice of fun and say hey man and to be kind of that coach on the side if they, if they want that you know encouragement so um yeah and i think uh, yeah again, it's it's one of those things too that like it's it's really rewarding to see them do the things that like make the game successful right you know it's um, right. 
it, again, it's almost like, you know, you and I played the game for 20, 25 years. It's almost about passing it on to, you know, that next wave of people, your next wave might be three-year-olds. They might be 33 year olds, you know, and that's right. okay. Um, when you talked about, you know, including people on the ice sessions. Yeah. I mean, are there times where it's like, you got 12 of your buddies and you're playing six on six with guys who all played past high school. And, you know, are you going to keep that game to yourselves? Yeah, there's a time and a place for that. But but overall, 95% of the time, you know, everybody who wants to play, we're going to let them play, you know, unless they're being, you know, a total D-bag, if you will. Um, but, you know, again, those big successes, when you tell a guy, you know, like, hey, hey, I, I know you're, you know, maybe not possessing the puck, go to the front of the net, I'll find you. I'll carry the puck in front, I'll find you. And then, you know, you find him and they put the puck in the net and it's their first goal they scored in the league and they're going absolutely nuts. And, you know, in the back of your head, you're kind of like, okay, I've had, millions upon millions of goals in this league but you know that's their first one ever and they're they're celebrating that they just scored you know the game winner in the stanley cup final in overtime it's like that's what makes it so enjoyable is being able to see guys you know enjoy the game that you've enjoyed for so long because i think you and i would express this um you know we love the game but as you get older and older and especially as the game becomes more high intensity more political as you climb those rungs of the ladder sometimes the love of the game can sometimes kind of disappear a little bit because it's all business it's that sort of thing and that i think you know having players who want to learn the game and you know trust you a little bit and you know have questions for you i think it brings the fun back into it because then all of a sudden when you get that kid who a month ago couldn't skate and now he gets the puck in the slot and somehow hits the post for the game winner in a six, six game of posts, right? Like that's, you know, there's no better feeling than that. So I, I guess the moral of the story is for veteran hockey players, I uh, definitely, definitely encourage these guys, teach them how to, how to do things. I mean, I had a kid last week, he said, how is it that you shoot so hard? And I said, well, besides the steroids, um, uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh it, it's just been a process that I've learned. But one thing that's really helpful is your hockey base, the tripod stance, right? You know, it's hard to stay in that stance, but it'll help your skating. It'll help your shooting. Now, every time he comes down the edge, right, he's down in the hockey stance. He's weaving his way through guys, you know, you know, actually possessing the puck and controlling it a little bit. Um, and, and it's just, it's great to see, to be able to pass off that knowledge. I think you and I would also agree that we never get to turn it off in our heads, right? It's always there. We can never watch a hockey game the way that, non-hockey people watch a Bruins Islanders game we can't do that so why not pass it on to the next group and you know what if you're a new hockey player um and you're you know for whatever reason people aren't including you move to Nick's neck of the woods move heaven forbid to Minot North Dakota we'll, we'll Don't go to North Dakota yeah. don't do that <laughs> last resort but uh yeah come join us we'll definitely teach you the game and uh happy to have you jump in Nick anything else to add here uh on the extra ice session uh no uh but I guess the the one last thing I would say is I, I'm looking forward to fall where more open hockey can take place. So a lot of the uh, the metro rinks here uh, are shut down for the summer. Um, even Blaine, um, a lot of just private ice sessions right now. Um, usually they have at least one open ice session at least once or twice a week, and I don't even see that on their docket. So um, I'm anxious to get back uh, on the ice and uh, and actually you know should you know could tease. Um, <laughs> you know, what might be happening on the ice yeah. a little bit, but uh, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll leave you that. Yeah. We've uh, let's just say um, we might have a little get together in the old uh, Granite city area. Uh, yeah. Sometime in July. And we'll just leave it at that. We'll see how it goes. Uh, not going to reveal too much. I think that's about all we're going to say, but we will reveal 
Western Michigan. They're on the docket for us next week in our coverage of the NCHC. Nick, I don't know if we have a Healthy Scratch interview segment guest for this week. Um, haven't really confirmed anything yet. So you might see an interview come out later this week. Or you know what, Nick and I might just say it might be great for a week off this week. We'll just have to see. Stay tuned. Um, I know that's not <laughs> great information. But for sure, we'll definitely have a guest for next week regardless. But you never know. This might just be a great week for us to kind of kick back and relax and uh, reap the rewards of our amazing super-duper podcast uh, that we do here but that will do it for our super duper podcast episode number 65 catch us of course for episode number 66 on the following sunday for nick max and i'm noah grant we bid you adieu and we will see you next week